Welcome to Urban Puritano. On today's edition, we bring you an interview chopped and screwed from last year between the host of Cross-Eyed Podcast, Bryant Rueda, and myself. We talk about biblical hermeneutics, and I thought it would be a great benefit to our audience if we share it, with his permission, of course. Stay tuned, gird your loins, and grab a Bible. All Christians are urban Christians. Whether you live in Graceville, Florida, or Chicago, Illinois, the believer is on a pilgrim's journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. As we endeavor to live unto God in this world, our faith looks for the city which is to come, whose architect and builder is the living God. You are not alone on your journey. As you travel the narrow way, know that a great cloud of witnesses went before you. Many travel alongside you, and while the Lord tarries, many will follow the same path after you. But until the heavenly city is brought to us, or we to it, one such pilgrim is your fellow traveler. He is Urban Puritano. Hermeneutics is like the heart. From it flows the issues of the life of the church. Now, various churches adopt different theological positions. Most churches have pretty much the same core issues and may differ on secondary issues and tertiary issues. But even the core primary issues, you find slight nuance you know, between uh, various central doctrines. And maybe it's not so much that, maybe it's emphasis. Uh, but in any case, it all boils down to how you interpret the scriptures. So hermeneutics will always be a perennial issue for church leaders, church members, and pastors, teachers, seminary uh, institutions as a whole, and professors and teachers, and so that's why we think uh, we should be uh, always having, you know, hermeneutics as a whole on our radar. Um, to that end, I want to amend a section in the interview that I talked about, and I'll probably mention some of the same books, and I'll add a couple of other books as recommended resources for interested lay leaders, Sunday school teachers, pastors that want to mentor a group of uh, church members, etc. So first on my list for hermeneutics-related resources is a classic by, a recent classic by um, Robert H. Stein, A Basic Guide to Interpreting the Bible, Playing by the Rules. It's a great basic book, comes highly recommended by many um, familiar theological uh, seminary professors and things like that, and uh, a lot of lay people have benefited from it. Um, another book is Hermeneutics as Apprenticeship, How the Bible Shapes Our Interpretive Habits and Practices by David I. Starling. Very beneficial book, very thought-provoking, and very edifying. A more recent 
entry into uh, this vast literature is a book called Engaging the Old Testament, How to Read Biblical Narrative, Poetry, and Prophecy Well by Dr. Dominic S. Hernandez. Now, I haven't finished reading this book, but um, I know I was eager, eagerly anticipating it uh, this year and finally got my hands on a copy and I've started to dig in and I like what I read. And I think that um, this professor's bilingual, bicultural experience uh, suits him well to offer uh, his perspective on uh, all things hermeneutics. And I especially can relate to a lot of the examples that are given uh, for Spanish and uh, Spanish-speaking Christians in the States. Um, but I think he presents it in such a way that it's directly applicable to the uh, issues of uh, Hebrew interpretation and things like that. Because, uh, obviously, uh, the Bible is still full of idioms and things like that, and we could um, directly parallel those same issues in other languages, of which Spanish is the professor's uh, first language. Uh, another possibility to um, help out is another book called uh, Opening Scripture. This one is a older one, but I chose it to just uh, uh, supplement Dr. Hernandez's focus on the Old Testament. This one is Opening Scripture, a hermeneutical manual introducing the exegetical study of the New Testament by Patrick Fairbairn. Fairbairn? I can't pronounce that. I think he was a Scottish brother and uh, comes with a lot of recommendations by previous evangelical stalwarts from the past as far as Reformed and Evangelical, Presbyterian and Baptist and... and uh, just, I think it's a solid resource for our edification. A little bit more recent is this one that I've been getting into. It's also recommended by some great people who are uh, judicious in their, you know, other works. And uh, I always look for that. This one is All Roads Lead to the Text by Dean B. Depp. All Roads Lead to the Text, Eight Methods of Inquiry into the Bible. I like this. It's very good. Uh, you didn't have to, you don't have to read it, you know, uh, from, you know, beginning to end. It's designed where you could pick up with any one of the methods and, you know, ponder it and concentrate on it. And it's a great selection. And another one is also a recent one. This one is Biblical Hermeneutics. Five Views with contributor, Contributors, uh, Craig L. Blomberg, Richard B. Gaffin, F. Scott Spencer, Robert W. Wall, and Merrill Westfall. So here we have, you know, various hermeneutical viewpoints, including the historical critical grammatical method that Craig Blomberg endorses the literary postmodern method that F. Scott Spencer endorses, the philosophical theological method that Merrill Westfall endorses, and what is my particular bias is uh, Redemptive Historical by Richard B. Gaffin Jr. 
and canonical Robert W. Wall. Now, um, I don't necessarily think that one method excludes other methods. I just think that um, we have to fall on something as our foundational one and move from there. But they aren't mutually exclusive necessarily. But in any case, moving right along, we have another recent one that is thought-provoking and uh, you know worth a read. 40 Questions About Typology and Allegory by Mitchell, Dr. Mitchell L. Chase. And this is a great reader-friendly resource. Now, despite um, Dr. Chase's seemingly enthusiastic endorsement of the quadriga, uh, I still think that that deficiency is uh, easily overlooked by uh, pondering a lot of the other things worthwhile things, helpful things that he says and argues for in the book. Um, We do have to contend with typology and allegory in scripture. Uh, The question is, to what extent? And whether, as a Protestant, we can employ uh, the quadriga to all of scripture, or... um, does the deficiency of that method reside in its arbitrary and capricious nature? Is that able to be overcome? So, um, despite uh, Dr. Chase's endorsement of the quadriga and other contexts, and I still think it's a worthwhile, helpful resource. It's thought-provoking, and it will take you into areas that um, only stretching your mind usually does. So, it's always good. Here is... Another one, Beginning at Moses, A Guide to Finding Christ in the Old Testament by Michael P.V. Barrett. Michael P.V. Barrett, Beginning at Moses, A Guide to Finding Christ in the Old Testament. I think this is a worthwhile um, hermeneutical resource and would be highly beneficial to you as a believer. Now, winding down somewhat, here is... What does this mean? Principles of Biblical Interpretation in the Postmodern World by James W. Voles. A very thought-provoking book. It is both um, theoretical and nuts and bolts. There's a rational rationale throughout its pages, and you will be provoked and stimulated while reading this. I think Uh, That would be worth your while. I think he's coming from a Lutheran perspective. Finally, I would like to recommend a rather thick book, um, but a a relevant book. And I think it's something, it's a resource that I haven't heard discussed uh, in public too much, whether in podcasts or um, just uh, from the pulpit or from the Sunday school classroom so much, but I think it would be worthwhile for many lay leaders to get their hands on, go through and consider. And it is the Reformation and the right reading of scripture by Ian Proven. The Reformation and the right reading of scripture. Uh, Now, Dr. Proven goes through recent uh, spiritualizing and, uh, so-called pre-critical tendencies and um, 
he goes through the history of that and um, the revival of that perspective as opposed to uh, a little bit more faithful Reformation type of hermeneutics, uh, hence the Reformation and the right reading of Scripture, um, how you conceptualize uh, the spiritual import of the text of Scripture um, and whether that is um, inclusive of those spiritual readings that are becoming more and more in vogue uh, recently for various interests. And uh, I'll leave it to you to read the book to see whether he uh, evaluates other um, points of view and other authors. I think he's fair and judicious as well. So that's why I highly recommend that one as well. And so uh, with those recommendations, oh, um, before I forget, I think a great resource is uh, the twin books one on the Old Testament, one on the New Testament, put out by the faculty of Reformed Theological Seminary. Uh, the first one is called A Biblical Theological Introduction to the Old Testament. Um, Dr. Van Pelt is the editor of that one. Great resource for Sunday school teachers. It's available in English and in Spanish. And the companion volume is A Biblical Theological Introduction to the New Testament by edited by Dr. Kruger and also available in English and Spanish, uh, maybe other languages as well. That would be great. Those two resources are great. Um, basically it's a seminary education in a couple of volumes as far as the biblical content content is concerned. So, um, you know, go get those resources if you can, afford them or, you know, put them on your list. They would be great. And so with that, dear listeners, we will begin our chilled out conversation with Bryant Rueda from Cross-Eyed Podcast with his permission. Thank you very much. What is hermeneutics, generally speaking, if you want to like further build on Perkins' definition or others? Well, hermeneutics is the science of interpreting texts. And in the case of the Bible, it's the science and study of interpreting the biblical text. What principles are involved? What's the foundation of the principles? And, you know, how we begin to approach the word and in order to derive from it, its meaning. And I think you mentioned the Puritan William Perkins was uh, a representative of that uh, point of view, the, the exposition of its, uh, what was that? I, I didn't get, I don't have the quote in front of me. So yeah, yeah I'll, repeat I'll, that. I'll reread it. He says, that interpretation is the opening of the words and sentences of the scripture that one entire and natural sense may appear. Yeah. So there's, there's, that's a, that's a wonderful breakdown of what it is to interpret scripture, the opening up, because, you know, we may approach uh, any given passage of passage of scripture and it could be closed to our eyes. And, uh, you know, with the exposition 
of your word, you know, we, we see light. So uh, that's always a, a great thing. And, you know, it's a, it's a fearful thing when you think about it, because that just shows that there's a right way to open up the word, but there's also a wrong way. So uh, we want to do our best to find, you know, right methods of opening up the word to its single and whole holistic meaning. So is that what you say then that, that that is why you care so much about hermeneutics in particular? I think every Christian should care about hermeneutics in one way, shape or form, because we are constantly either reading the word, hearing the word, studying the word in some way, shape or form, or benefiting from others who do and minister the word to us. So we must all care about hermeneutics because we must be like the Bereans. We must trust and verify. We must see that things are being given to us either personally or given to people publicly in a responsible fashion. And so, you know, it is important in that sense. So what are, what would be some examples of, like hermeneutical principles that, that, that would help us be more responsible in our approach, our handling, our interaction, our understanding of scripture, uh, whether we're the ones uh, diving in ourselves and doing the study ourselves or whether we're the ones listening uh, to others doing that. What are some principles that you would suggest uh, that we should be aware of or that are good to build on or work with? Great question. There are so many principles for interpreting scripture and a lot of different schools of thought promote certain principles and uh, other schools of thought promote other principles. Uh, as far as, you know, in the current world that we're living in, in evangelicalism and Protestantism and conservative Christian uh, thought along these lines, there are some common principles. And, you know, depending on Uh, what faith tradition you belong to, uh, let's say reformed, there is a certain, you know, framework that obviously reformed people would, would have in distinction from other traditions in the Christian church. But I think uh, I like to always start out with, you know, very broad and general foundational type principles because they do permeate the rest of the principles that we use. And uh, for example, the, the Bible that we're seeking to interpret to open up its meaning is ultimately uh, God's word. So God is the source of it. He inspired it. He caused it to be written down exactly as he willed. He uh, decreed and, and in providence made it so that his chosen apostles and prophets and uh, messengers would write down the message exactly as he wanted it to be written down and not just the big parts or uh, the important sections, quote unquote, but everything from the big parts to the small parts, every word actually. So that's a principle that's derived from uh, multiple uh, scripture from both old and new Testament where the, authors record explicitly that they are recording something as God revealed it in some way, shape, or form. It doesn't mean that God always dictated, you know, his truth to them. It could have been 
the record of a vision given to them. It could have been from uh, a message given to them. Uh, it could have been through the natural course and occasion of events as later in the case of the apostles or writers of the gospels that they were investigating and all of their uh, investigation concerning the life of Jesus, for example, they wanted to sit down and write everything. And in that concurrence between their will and God's will, the resultant effect was the scripture. And we have um, scripture that specifically states that that was the intention of the Holy Spirit. So that's a foundational principle that we must remember. We're not opening up the word of man, ultimately. We're, we're opening up the word of God. Good, good. Uh, what would you, if you were to give that uh, principle, like a name, a title, uh, as a way of categorizing it so that people can reference it or uh, look into it a little bit more, what, how would you put that? What would you call it? Well, I would say that, that uh, what I was trying to describe was the inspiration, the plenary and verbal inspiration of the Bible. So uh, that would be something that any student of the word, any believer would uh, bless themselves by delving into more because they would see that from the beginning, the middle, and up until the end, that the scripture was guided and caused to be by his superintendence, by his sovereignty, by his providence, and all of that because of his will. He decreed it. That was his purpose. Good, good. Yeah, I, that, I think that is the foundational principle to start with, right? Uh, recognize the, the nature and the character of scripture, its origin and ultimate intent, right, behind it. So, yeah, definitely a good place to start. Uh, what else would you bring into the mix to build on that? What other principles would you consider or recommend? Well, from there, you know, you could you know, ask yourself, you know, you're, you're talking about the theory of this and you could say, well, okay, because of what we have before us, that is a, a God caused book. Does that mean that I am to ignore the, the human side in order to get the meaning? And so, you know, various people have answered that various ways. And some people have emphasized maybe a more spiritual end of the spectrum of tools or even meanings that they should derive from the Bible in order to open it up. Uh, however, the two don't have to be sharply divided or, or set apart, the human and the divine. So because God condescended to reveal his mind, so to speak, through the words of scripture and the words of scripture are at the same time, but in a different sense, also the words of men, we can take seriously the conventions used within it to derive meaning, to open it up. So there is no necessary, there's, there shouldn't be a necessary uh, bifurcation and separation between the human and the divine. It just goes to show the, the uniqueness of the Bible. The Bible is, in a sense, like other books in world literature, 
And therefore, we do use tools similar to opening up the meaning in other books, but it is dissimilar because of its divine origin. And so there are other tools and considerations to use in rightly opening it up. Good. Would you uh, give us an example of that as to like understanding meaning in light of its both its human author and its divine author? Well, if if the Bible was simply a book of human either origin or just human production, then it wouldn't matter if the Bible was unified because not every book needs to be unified in content and theme and in uh, purpose. It could be a disconnected collection of, you know, arbitrary things. And the Bible is so far away from that. The Bible is not a disconnected, arbitrary conglomeration of different things, let's say of the wisdom of the world and a world religion and how it evolved from very primitive to you know, less primitive. Uh, no, it isn't. You can't say that. The Bible itself says the scripture cannot be broken. Scripture is the word of God. There's no chaos in, in, uh, in God. There's no uh, disorder in God. So the features of the Bible, when you actually read it from Genesis to Revelation, is that there is a harmony within it. And it's a harmony that you must confess, because it is a fact, a harmony produced over a thousand years by different sorts of people, different uh, castes in, in society that they lived in. Some were humble fishermen, some were kings, some were soldiers, some were doctors. And so, in different time periods too. So we have this diversity producing a unity that they themselves could not have produced because they were all apart from each other, different epochs, different education levels, different circumstances. But that was no barrier to God. God revealed it to them at the time he did. They wrote it down. It was preserved. We have it. We can examine it and we could perceive from it it's unity in content, in theme, in purpose. And ultimately, that unity is God's purpose in Christ. So that's why I said earlier that the Bible is ultimately Christological. Good stuff. Yeah. The uniqueness of his unity and even continuity. Um, would you say then, is, are, is there any discontinuity then? from Old Testament to New Testament? And if so, what does that look like? What does that mean? And what we should do about it as interpreters? Yes, there's a discontinuity of sorts. There's things that um, are present before or earlier that continue, but then are not present. There's, there's a, a lot of discontinuity. Um, even the way that the genres within the Bible are found so if you just look at the bible closed bible you look at it in your hand you, you wonder if you have no background knowledge you say i wonder is it the same genesis if i open up the first part 
is it the same from the beginning to the middle to the end? And then you find out by reading it, no, it's not. Oh, I, I may have some certain narratives that start out this way. Well, I, feel, I, I read the story, the history of you know this person. I read the history of this family. I read the history of this nation. But then it you know goes off to some other genre. And it could be about, let's say, law. And then I go to another genre. Oh, it could be about poetry. What is it talking about? Oh, what about this genre? Oh, it comes back to history. But then later on, it, then it's uh, prophetic. And so, you know, you, you find within it, uh, you know, talking on an earthly level here, this continuity of uh, the forms of uh, scripture that we find in the Bible. So there's that. But then when you enter the world of the Bible, there's certain discontinuities of realities that they lived. For example, uh, I guess the famous one is uh, discontinuity of covenants, right? So you're talking about an element found in the course of the history of what the Bible is talking about, very prominent, certain types of covenants, and then later on, other types of covenants. And so, you know, we can say in general, I don't want to get into any controversies about covenant theology, but certain uh, covenants were replaced or displaced or fulfilled. And I think that's just, uh, that's a very general neutral way of saying, right? Um, at least uh, for that topic, yes, definitely there are uh, discontinuities, right? But it all depends on what God was accomplishing in history. So at first he was, you know, setting things up and then later he fulfilled them. So uh, it would stand to reason that there would be some uh, discontinuities in the Bible. You would say that's because uh, of revelation progressing. There's a progressive revelation taking place. And as history, redemptive history is unfolding, you have, you're going to see some things continue, hence continuity, and some things discontinue, hence discontinuity from one period to, to another, from like Old Testament to New Testament and the like. Yes, there's definitely that. And then within that uh, redemptive history or biblical theology type uh, talk, uh, like I said at the start, even the forms in which that history takes place is different. So there's different genres within it. So in order to open up the meaning, we have to keep all of those things in mind. We have to uh, open it up according to its genre. Uh, and also not lose sight of the actual events taking place that whatever the genre is talking about, talks about those events and the interpretation of those events. So definitely it's a complex task to uh, wrap your mind around, but it is possible. So there's always hope. There's uh, difficulty, but there's definite hope. Would you say that, uh, because of his unity, um, we need to consider it as a whole whenever trying to understand any of its parts. So like looking at the whole canon, or another way to put it is considering the large context or the context of the canon 
as an important part or an important context of any individual verse or section of scripture. Yes, definitely. You know, the, the topic of it's the Bible's unity, uh, we must say, is organic. And, you know, as we, as I hinted at before, because the Bible was written by over, you know, 40 authors and over a thousand year period, that organic unity has to be attributed to God because no person, no one person or no group of people uh, living in one time created the Bible. And the Bible was caused to come into existence through uh, God. And the resultant effect was that organic unity because he had a message for mankind to share the message centered around his redemptive work in Christ. And so definitely uh, something to be emphasized. And uh, as far as context goes, yes, definitely. Um, I always use the analogy of an archipelago that no text of scripture is an island unto itself. Scripture is more like a chain of islands. And one of you know the, the islands in the archipelago is relevant to any other one. And I think that if you were to say, no, no, I cannot have this other scripture, you know, bear anything upon this one that I'm considering, I think you are closing off unnecessarily. Uh, I think that's a little bit arrogant. I think that implies that you know everything about hermeneutics and that you know that hermeneutical principle of allowing other scriptures to help out and support the interpretation of a particular scripture um, it shows that you think that you know everything and that nothing can deceive you and therefore you're not allowing this part of scripture over here to deceive you about this part of scripture it's just arrogant you cannot uh, just cut off meaning that way. You may not see the relevance, but you have to keep an open mind because you don't know everything. You have to be humble. That's another thing about uh, the difference between interpreting uh, the scripture versus interpreting another uh, piece of literature. You have to be humble because God's word you know, has, has been inspired. It has an organic unity. It has a meaning to be opened up. And you cannot know, you cannot say that the meaning of another scripture does not impinge or impact the meaning on this scripture that's right in front of me that I'm interpreting, trying to open up. Yeah, thanks for that. So uh, just as a way to summarize, just so that, you know, if those who are listening could kind of keep track, um, and tell me if this is fair representation of what's been said so far. Uh, you touched on basically, I guess, presupposing, right? Uh, recognizing, starting off with uh, the understanding that this is the word of God. that is divinely inspired. So you got to start there. Also recognizing, therefore, because of that or in relationship to that, uh, scripture's unity, right? Because God is, even though there are multiple human authors, God is the ultimate author, of it all. So recognizing this organic unity, and also, I guess you could, it's fair to say, you could say that, therefore, 
the context of every scripture is all of scripture, right? Like you're referring to that uh, illustration of the islands. And then uh, what would you say in regards to then uh, additional principles in light of those things? Oh, I forgot to mention one. You also the the concept or understanding that scripture, therefore, uh, can interpret scripture. How does that work? How does that happen? You mind elaborating further on that and also perhaps clarifying any of that that I just said, as well as adding additional principles to consider? Yes, I mean, invariably, any Christian that reads the scripture in any given area will come across difficulties in understanding or opening the meaning up to himself or herself. And so what is a believer to do? You could do a lot of things. You could ask ask somebody more mature, more uh, wise. You can consult a book that could have information on it. Uh, you can pray. Obviously, you should pray for wisdom, for God to reveal the answer. And it's not going to happen you know, to you in a dream or in a miraculous way. No, it will happen as a natural result of you uh, digging for the answers, you know, kind of like uh, Proverbs chapter eight, you know, where you have to diligently seek after wisdom, you know, so um, you have to use means in order to uh, find results. And those results uh, hopefully will uh, open up the meaning of the scripture. But um, in terms of uh, for example, let's say uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, he was reading uh, Isaiah, a scroll of Isaiah chapter uh, 52 to 54, or maybe just 53. I forget. I don't have it in front of me, but Philip, I believe, was it Philip, the deacon? Um, listeners could correct me if my memory, my old rusty and reformed memory fails me sometimes, <laughs> but uh, um, Philip, the deacon approached him by the spirit's uh, command and offered his assistance. And he asked him straight up. He said, Hey, what's up? You know what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch said, well, how am I supposed to know unless somebody helps me out? And then he jumped up on, you know, the carriage or whatever he was on and they were reading the portion in Isaiah. And then the Ethiopian asked a question. He said, is, is the prophet talking about himself or somebody else? And then what did Philip do? Philip said, um, well, we have to make sure we have the grammar right and the historical circumstances of this, where the prophet is writing and, and, and then um, anybody but Jesus. But no, he didn't do that. Um, he, what does the scripture say? He preached Jesus to him. Uh, it just so happened in the providence of God that that was a, a prophecy in the Old Testament about uh, the Lord and his redemptive work for his people. And so uh, that wasn't necessarily the intended uh, meaning of the human author. But we don't have to limit ourselves to rightly opening up the single full meaning of scripture by whatever the human author intended, because this is, after all, a divinely inspired book. And Philip did the right <clears throat> thing. This was a prophecy revealed 
700 years before, or however many years, it was centuries, and it was fulfilled. And so uh, the Ethiopian eunuch came to faith, for example, and uh, he, he was baptized right then and there. And so um, we see in the Bible itself that people do not limit a text to just what's in front of me. You have to turn the page, just like our parents and grandparents have their Bibles back in the day. You know how the pages are all crinkly and wrinkly because they're so used so much. Not like us. We still have our Bibles with uh, gilt uh, edges and, and, and so pristine. And we get our Bible rebinds and, oh, yeah, we put pictures on Instagram. And, oh, yeah, a beautiful Bible and this and that. And, and I'm telling on myself a little bit, but I feel ashamed <laughs> because. Confessions. Yeah, but um, the, that's the idea. We want all believers, not just seminary profs. We want the pew warmers to have Bibles like that, too, because um, I don't know about you. I remember experiences in church from when I was a little kid in, in the Spanish-speaking church context where the preacher would preach a text, but then he would also supplement that with other texts. And then everybody would be with their heads down and flipping their Bibles. That's not a phenomenon that I've seen so much lately in the last few years, well, a lot of years, but that's the idea. You have a preaching text, for example, the preacher wants to present that text and open up the meaning, but he also wants to supplement that and augment that and enrich that with other texts because they're there. And it would be a crime to ignore the fact that they're there. And that's what they're there for. So um, that's my little take on that. Good stuff, man. Uh, thanks for somewhat revealing your age, too. Uh, you, you definitely are old and rusty. Um, but uh, you did say something that I want to, uh, I guess, go back to and maybe perhaps have you explain a little bit. You mentioned grammatical historical. You want to touch on that a little bit? What did you mean by that? And is there a place for that, et cetera, as it relates to interpretation? Yes, definitely. I mean, um, thanks for the, the age comment, by the way. But um, the grammatical, historical, you know, there's there's caricatures back and forth, you know, all around, you know. So um, I don't mean to necessarily engage in that. I say it tongue in cheek, but uh, there's been such an emphasis on grammatical, historical interpretation of scripture as rendering the right method in order to open up the meaning of scripture that it puts aside perhaps other uh, tools in the reader's toolbox that he should have. Or she should have. So uh, I think that in, in its best light, you must pay attention to a text grammar. You must pay attention insofar as these things are available to you to a text history. And so that in itself, we cannot treat uh, the Bible as an ahistorical text that is just hanging there in the air. No. The text is down and dirty. It's revealed and it talks about events that happened in real life, in world history. And so we must pay attention. But 
we have to avoid that tendency that perhaps uh, some people have been taught or promoted that without knowing the history of a text fully or 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 more than what we do or without properly treating the grammar because some of us uh, are um, not able to you know grasp the concepts of grammar so but if we have basic reading skills we can know about uh, nouns and verbs subjects and predicates and we could go from there right we could build upon that so those things are important uh, modifiers and and all kinds of things so those things are definitely important are they all important no they're not all important so um, some people do talk about interpreting scripture as if that was kind of all important now I think I have a theory on that is because um, different theological positions emphasize certain conclusions that can only be reached by those basic tools without the other supplemental tools that perhaps may be available to them, but because of their theological position, they don't want to, Um, you know, again, uh, a lot of people accuse other people some christian you know there's always christian infighting about everything but you know interpreting is is one of them so you know some schools of thought say well you guys spiritualize the text well if the text talks in such a way that it warrants a spiritualization whatever you mean by it i don't know but if it warrants a spiritualization to be rendered then by all means, render it that way. Uh, so it's, it's a fear that I'm not going to say only plagues, you know, one school of thought. It plagues everybody at some point, you know, in time, uh, especially when they come to either at the beginning of believing certain things or if they change their mind about certain things. For example, I mean, if, for example, I never i never grew up in a in a christ-centered uh type of church where that that's what they preach now they did you know many times because it was unavoidable preach in a christ-centered way but the paradigm once i learned it i really you know embraced it and and relished it and thank god for it because it to me it was just very uh true it emerged from the text it you know, in any which way that you looked at it. Um, but I think other people may hold on to, you know, certain methods or principles of interpretation because to not hold on to them would uh, shift their theology and they're not willing to shift their theology. So um, I think we all have to be like Bereans. And I think in the marketplace of ideas of biblical interpretation and even biblical doctrine, uh, everybody has to be willing to get in the ring and fight it out. And the last man standing is the last man that wins. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think uh, that's good because uh, there's a lot of disagreement, obviously, right, over hermeneutics. But yet there's also a lot of uh, agreement. There's a lot of things uh, across the spectrum, I guess you could say, people may share and, and hold 
and affirm together, right? Like, I think everyone recognizes the importance of grammar, history, perhaps even like the sociological, cultural context, historical context, grammatical context, uh, as well as even typology. Everyone pretty much recognizes typology. The, the presence of typology and that it's used and that we should also look into it as to how that applies and how we can use it as interpreters as far as that goes. Uh, so so there all of this is, you could say perhaps to some extent, is affirmed uh, across the spectrum of beliefs on this whole issue of biblical interpretation. Yet I think the, the, the main reason there's so much disagreement is probably uh, the application of these things whether as it relates to consistent application or perhaps an inadequate application of some of these principles. Because, uh, you know, people would affirm also that, you know, scripture does interpret scriptures. One scripture is not so clear, then another clear scripture should speak into the issue and clarify what the less clear scripture is communicating, perhaps. Um, or even the unity of scripture, most would, uh, would affirm a continuity and a discontinuity from Old to New Testament. So I think a lot of the differences it has to do with emphasis, with this nuance there that may throw some people off, or even disagreement as to how to consistently apply some of these things. And of course, there's also some disagreement as to how to best understand or even represent a particular principle. Uh, any thoughts on that or want to speak into that? Well, definitely there are, you know, a lot of differences that will never be resolved you know, this side of heaven. So there's always going to be different conclusions, different theologies, different denominations. I think that despite the differences, there is an underlying belief in a true objective meaning in scripture. So uh, whereas let's say one group or one denomination would say, well, we believe the gifts of the spirit are still active for today. This is how we interpret it. And they provide evidence for that. You know, they give their reasons for that. Other people that don't share the same conclusions would say, well, we have these reasons that we think don't warrant what you're saying. And so that is always going to take place, you know, uh, famously similar, very similar denominations such as uh, Reformed and Presbyterian um, denominations and groups uh, have pedo-baptism. Other groups, such as the Baptists, have credo-baptism. Well, to, to be very technical, Presbyterians and Reformed have pedo and credo, right? And so Baptists have only credo. Why? Because they have a different way of digging into various passages. And um, the Presbyterian and Reformed may say, we want this group of passages to mutually inform the, the conclusions that we reach. Baptists would say, I believe that the more restricted group of verses or passages that we have exclude us from having those other passages that you guys have to inform us on. We think that there's reasons for that, for there to be a cutoff there. And so you're always going to find that in various groups and denominations and conclusions. So I think ultimately, as time goes on, we always uh, have that underlying belief that there is a right interpretation. There is a 
one you know full meaning uh, on any given topic so um not not uh, not manifold meanings well <laughs> manifold meanings it depends some people do some people do because you know we're in 2022 and manifold meanings abound nowadays most christian denominations and traditions that are nowadays operating are not operating from a for example a traditional reformed confessional stance so they are not committed to excluding a manifold meaning they welcome a manifold meaning so there's a lot of confusion unfortunately in the landscape of uh, the church today uh, but that's you know no different than other periods of time in the past there's always been a great confusion in that god is faithful even when we are not and we thank god for that uh, i do have um, confidence that uh, like i said before the the one that gets in the ring that you know prevails the last one standing is ultimately going to be um, the one that professes a, a correct method or, or approach to interpreting scripture. I happen to think that it's the, you know, traditional Protestant and confessional position that denies a manifold meaning of scripture. And would you, I would probably add this and I would like to hear your feedback on that. Um, there's also the, this, uh, element or aspect of deduction correct where we have principles that we can work with and we aim to apply them consistently and holistically together uh, considering all our options using all the tools at our disposal and like doing so prayerfully seeking the spirit's illumination doing it in the context of community both our local church under our, our pastor's oversight and teaching, as well as church history and considering all of that. Uh, but there's this aspect of deduction that in some cases, we have to arrive at certain conclusions by way of deduction. And, and sometimes along the way in those deduction, in the deduction process is where some people may go off the rails, right? Or at least maybe not go off the rails, but at least uh, end up with a wrong conclusion perhaps. So what are your thoughts on that, on, on finding things that are, uh, that the scripture, you find it that they're necessarily contained in scripture or that by way of deduction that are uh, out of necessary, a good and necessary consequence. You want to speak to that? Well, that's a very good and important question. The place of logic in interpreting scripture and deduction is an application of that question is a deduction from scripture a valid opening up of scripture i would say yes and i would say inevitably yes not only are deductions to be used they are unavoidable and that just testifies to both the rationality of god's creation in general, and in particular, the rationality of God's word. It doesn't mean that rationalism is to be held up high 
above scripture. No, there's a lot of people that pearl clutch and they say, oh, don't speak of logic in the Bible because the Bible is beyond logic. No, logic is a feature of thought. And the Bible is God's word. The Bible is, so to speak, a revelation of God's mind. Not all of God's mind. No, it's God's mind that he has willed to reveal to us. And so embedded in the universe as a rational creation, embedded in scripture is a rationality that can be accessed by logical deductions. And so really that refers to when you read a portion of scripture and perhaps in your consideration of it, you conclude, let's say with a premise, and then you read another portion of scripture and you conclude with another premise. Now, those two premises could be very consistent with each other naturally, or they could be inconsistent. So if they are inconsistent, you must find either the error in your judgment or how those two can be harmonized if they can be harmonized. And so you must deduce whether you have opened up a scripture or two scriptures correctly. And logical deduction is the unavoidable means in which to do that. Because again, like we said before, scripture is not a haphazard collection of disconnected premises or propositions. No, it's systematic. It's organic in unity by God's design. So it could be something trivial like scripture talking about cities in Israel. If the scripture does not say that Idumea is south of, let's say, Judea, can we deduce that Judea is north of Idumea? Can we deduce trivial things like that that aren't explicitly spelled out? It could be, I'm mentioning geography because that's not controversial. Is it a valid deduction to figure out by combining uh, explicit locations in, in Israel that one city was east or west of another? And then this one is north or south of another? Now, it gets a little bit more tricky and spicy when you talk about deeper things. Now, the deepest thing that you can talk about in scripture is the doctrine of God. And the Christian conception of God is that God is one in one sense, but he is three in another sense. And so the way certain Christian traditions have employed deduction was by simple necessity of reading scripture and deriving from it its teaching because the scripture teaches that God is one 
And at the same time, and in a different sense, it teaches that God is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So there's trivial examples of how deduction is valid and unavoidable. And there's deeper examples of how scripture is, or deduction is valid and unavoidable in reading scripture. That, that uh, brings to mind then the, this, I guess, second or last question as we uh, start to wrap this up, uh, the issue of theology. So should we read scripture? Should we interpret scripture theologically? Uh, yes or no? And if so, why? You want to touch on that? Like, like you mentioned the Trinity. Should we as Trinitarians read scripture f- f- through the lens of the Trinity? and so forth. And many other examples could be given. Uh, But speaking specifically to interpreting scripture theologically, what are your thoughts on that? We must interpret scripture theologically because theology is basically the systematic understanding of what the scripture teaches. So if we are considering any given passage it will touch on some teaching of scripture. And so we assist ourselves in reading it by enhancing our understanding. Again, this is a lifelong process. This is not something that you can complete in a Sunday school class or even a particular year or even a seminary education. No, this is through the normal course of the passage of our lives that we learn that. The more we read the Bible, the more we will read it theologically. So that when, for example, like you said, when the Bible says God, we do not think of, oh, it's talking about the unmoved mover. That would be reading the scripture philosophically. No, we do think of Trinity whenever we see God. And even when we don't see one of the members of the Trinity, for example, uh, one of the later passages in Luke, I believe the Lord Jesus is talking about, he was covenanted a kingdom by his father, and he, in turn, covenanted a kingdom to his apostles for them to preach and, and propagate and spread and evangelize. Where's the Holy Spirit? Well, who is the son? He is the anointed one. He was the one that was sent. The Holy Spirit is implicitly there. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so you may not come to that conclusion upon a first reading the first year that you're a Christian. But if you've been mentored by Sunday school teachers, by older brothers in the faith or sisters in the faith, by pastors who regularly preach the word and correctly draw its meaning. And over time, you see the organic unity within it. You will naturally come to be a theological reader of scripture. And that's the way it's meant to be. Great, man. Uh, Final two questions as we... 
approach the end of this episode. It's been good. And uh, perhaps, like I said at the beginning, we, we may need to do another part or so. But hopefully this will suffice for now and give like a broad general survey feel of some of the principles that are, I guess, uh, important to build on or to at least seek to implement in one's interpretive uh, process or practice. Um, but th this question, you know, bringing all this together, what is the ultimate goal of hermeneutics or what is the ultimate goal of biblical interpretation? What would you say to that? I would say like almost everything else. I mean, like everything else, the glory of the triune God in the manifestation of Christ to his people. Show us Jesus. You show us Jesus, you show us God. And we are in need, most desperately of all, of salvation. And salvation is only found in Christ. And the Bible is Christ's word. And so the ultimate goal of hermeneutics is to bring us to Christ with the glory of God. So, uh, I think that's the ultimate goal, the, the, maybe not the ultimate goal, but that's the proximate goal of hermeneutics to preaching is to preach that message, to announce that message so that in the hearing, God will grant faith. And by faith, we will be united to him. So I always want to emphasize that this should be relevant to all believers from children to adolescents to adults to the elderly, to the whole people of God. It's not an academic type of thing. This is for your spiritual life. This is for your blessing. This is for your sanctification. And this is for who you are as a people of God, redeemed. All right, man, here we are. and. To, to officially wrap this up now, <laughs> been saying that a little bit, but now we're actually approaching the end here. Um, how would you summarize? What would be your final word of encouragement or exhortation to those listening as it relates to this topic of biblical interpretation? We've already gone, you recommended some resources as a place to start. Uh, we discussed a few principles or concepts, ideas related to biblical interpretation. Uh, provide some examples and discuss other issues along the way related to it. But what would you, how would you summarize as way of exhortation or encouragement to those listening as, as to this topic of hermeneutics, biblical hermeneutics, biblical interpretation? Well, I would just encourage everybody, every believer that they will make mistakes in their reading of scripture. To read is to interpret. So as they go on, let's say we're at the beginning of the year, 2022. A lot of people start off with a Bible reading plan. They're reading fast and furious every day. You know, they're reading to read, and that's good. Get the content in you. Become familiarized with it. The more you do that over your lifespan, you will see the connections within it, the connections that were God-ordained to be there, to the glory of God. But you will make mistakes. and. You cannot do it on your own. You just can't. You need other people. Those other people may be living and they may be dead. And that's why you have books 
And not everything in every book that you read will be correct, just like you are not correct. And the people next to you may not be correct, and you may not be correct for them as you grow older. But this is the endeavor involved in hermeneutics. You need a lot of humility, and you need openness, and you can take comfort in knowing that, hey, even Peter thought some of the things that Paul wrote were difficult to understand. And I must always remind everybody, he said difficult, not impossible. So there is hope. God has a communicative intent in his word. And that is the ultimate grounds of our hope because it is a special revelation. He reveals and he communicates to us. So take hope. There's more to be hopeful for than to despair. No reason to despair. Thanks, man. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. And also appreciate your whole time with us for this episode. Thank you for discussing these important issues with us and with our listeners. I hope that those listening uh, benefit greatly from this, uh, that their interest is, is provoked or sparked and that they may be encouraged you know, to, to continue with this endeavor, to continue carrying out the labor of biblical interpretation for we all must. And like you said, to really to interpret. So everyone is an interpreter and we all need to continue to grow in our interpretation and in our interpretive skills in general. So thank you for your time, brother. Roberto, I appreciate it. And I look forward to uh, having you on for some other episodes. Peace, brother. Likewise. Thank you all for listening. This has been Cross-Eyed. Check out our channel and some of our other videos. Uh, But thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us at Urban Puritano. We look forward to catching up with you on your next stop along your journey to the city prepared by God for all true believers. 